It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, February 21st. I'm Kelly Reese and this is the KVMR Evening News. Up ahead on the California Report, we tag along with new Los Angeles Unified Superintendent Alberto Carvalho as he tours schools in his new district. Then in National Native News, a new apartment building in Seattle's Pioneer Square opens for low-income and unhoused Native Americans. And Detroit police turn up in tactical gear to disband an annual Native American ceremony. We then turn our attention to local news and weather before Sierra Gold Parks Foundation board member Sid Brown takes us for our bi-weekly walk in the park. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Authorities are trying to figure out what caused a police helicopter to crash off the coast of Newport Beach in Orange County, killing one officer and injuring another. The Huntington Beach police helicopter crashed Saturday night, killing Nicholas Vela, a 14-year veteran with the police department. The second officer has been released from the hospital. The National Transportation Safety Board says the pilot made a brief call to report mechanical issues before the crash. Last week, during his first couple of days on the job, the new superintendent of the Los Angeles Unified School District, Alberto Carvalho, made a whirlwind tour of many schools, where he asked staff and students lots of questions about learning at their campuses. How about the educational program? Is it rigorous? Is it tough? Does it push you? It pushes us to our limits. Yeah. What grades are you in? Six. Very good. Well, thank you for the very warm welcome. Before being chosen to lead America's second largest school system, the Portuguese-born Carvalho was superintendent of Florida's Miami-Dade County Public School System. It was a job he held for 13 years. There, he won national praise for improving academic performance, and it's hoped he can do the same for the LA Unified. As he was about to eat lunch with students in a classroom in South LA, I asked Carvalho about his immediate goals. So what's job number one for you? Say in your first hundred days, what do you want to accomplish? Key at this point is the systems of support, multi-tiered support to address the needs of our students. Secondly, stabilize the workforce condition, which at this point, uh, considering the uh, how tight the job market is, we have a lot of unfilled positions that we need to completely staff. You need uh, people in classrooms. Absolutely. There is a crisis in America right now as far as teachers are concerned, particularly hard to staff areas like special needs. In addition to that is ensuring that uh, we are preparing ourselves for the fiscal cliff that uh, LAUSD will face once the federal funds sunset. We've lost a lot of students. Uh, The federal funds right now are standing in that gap, uh, but uh, in the near future, those funds will dry up. If we do not bring those students back, if we do not reinvent our school system with additional parental options and re-energize the system, we will be facing a financial crisis. So in the short term, uh, real meat and potatoes personnel issues, getting over the pandemic, and in the long term, how to exist in a world where you may not have the same kind of federal dollars that you have had over the last couple of years. Correct. While addressing uh, the achievement gaps that have been uh, so persistent over decades, and uh, while addressing the need to accelerate students who have lost ground as a result of the pandemic towards their full academic potential. That's Alberto Carvalho, the new superintendent of the LA Unified School District. 
Millions of Americans with disabilities face barriers to getting married. Tying the knot can mean losing the federal benefits they rely on. From KAZU in Monterey, Eric Mahoney has this story of people trying to change the rules. Five years ago, Lori Long's boyfriend, Mark Contreras, got down on one knee. The moment captured on video. <laughs> yes, I'll marry you. Yes, I'll marry you. Long yes. dreamed about finding love, but wasn't sure it would happen. Especially for somebody like myself with a significant disability and, and a spinal deformity like I have. Long has an autoimmune disorder that results in painful fractures in her spine. After the proposal, she started looking at wedding dresses. Thinking about possible venues, looking at invitations. Then the nightmare hit. She learned marrying her fiancé, who isn't disabled, would mean completely losing her federal disability benefits and Medicare. Long and Contreras went from happiness to... Heartbreak. Definitely disappointment, but I didn't want to lose or give up on her. Long gets her health care through a social security program. Its complicated rules, written decades ago, assume the spouse can cover medical expenses. Long works part-time in retail. Contreras works for a nonprofit. But his insurance wouldn't cover everything Long needs. Her health care isn't just a few trips to the doctor every year, but hospital stays upwards of 50 grand per visit. Together, they decided it was a love story worth the fight. I thought, boy, this is kind of like a David and Goliath sort of a fight. You know, one person going up against a big government. But I felt that I had to try. She inspires me and she inspired me to write this bill. That's Congressman Jimmy Panetta of California. Last month, he introduced the Marriage Equality for Disabled Adults Act in the U.S. House of Representatives. It would ensure that people like Long never have to choose between health care or marriage. We just feel that's an antiquated and borderline cruel law that should be changed. Millions of Americans with disabilities face marriage penalties, a total or partial loss of their federal benefits. There's a separate bill in the Senate to end the penalty for people on another federal disability program. Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio introduced that legislation. It makes no sense from a logic viewpoint. It makes no sense from a moral viewpoint. It makes no sense from a religious viewpoint. It makes no sense in today's world, says disability rights advocate Bethany Lilly. I don't think, you know, 50 years ago, people would be thinking about people with disabilities getting married, whereas now that's just a, a perfectly normal, uh, expected part of life for a lot of people. Lilly is with The Arc, a national disability organization based in Washington, D.C. She hears heartbreaking stories all the time. Generally speaking, I suggest that people talk to a lawyer before they think about getting married. That's an unfortunate position to put folks with disabilities into. And, says Lily, the wrong message to send. As a person with a disability and as somebody who identifies as LGBTQ, for me, marriage means the acceptance by society. Meanwhile, Lori Long and her fiancé say they aren't giving up on saying I do. Love is very powerful. And I think when two people are able to tap into that energy, then look out world, because that kind of loving energy is close to unstoppable. For the California Report, I'm Erica Mahoney in Monterey. 
Support for the California Report comes from Stanford HealthCare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. The Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved youth. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And that is the California Report for this Monday, February 21st. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. Up ahead in today's National Native News, police confront individuals participating in the Detroit Sugarbush Project. Organizers of the annual Native American ceremony say they had the proper permits for the event in order. Video of police in tactical gear record an officer saying, quote, the sovereign stuff is not valid. This is National Native News. I'm Megan Kamrick in for Antonia Gonzalez. A hospital on the Navajo Nation near the Arizona-New Mexico border is suing the Indian Health Service after a steep cut to its budget. As Arizona Public Radio's Ryan Heinches reports, the facility says the decision will heavily impact the quality of health care in nearby tribal communities. According to the Fort Defiance Indian Hospital Board, the IHS cut 90 percent of the budget from the facility's contract support funding. It totals about $16 million and the hospital board says the move violates provisions of the Indian Self-Determination and Education Assistance Act. The 1975 law gives tribes the authority to contract with the federal government for programs that serve tribal members. The Fort Defiance Hospital Board slammed IHS's decision to slash the budget, saying it's especially bad timing as the Navajo Nation continues to grapple with the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Cases on the vast reservation skyrocketed during the Omicron fueled surge, setting the tribe's all-time record for new daily infections in mid-January. The board says the cut will also impact employees and the local economy, making it more difficult to provide health care to Navajo communities. The IHS didn't immediately respond to a request for comment. For National Native News, I'm Ryan Heinches in Flagstaff. In Detroit, police intervened to stop a Native American ceremony Friday night in a city park with one officer caught on a video posted to social media saying, quote, the sovereign stuff is not valid. The Detroit Free Press reports the ceremony was a kickoff to the Detroit Sugarbush Project. For three years, Anishinaabe and Potawatomi people have taught participants how to tap maple trees in River Rouge Park and boil the sap over a fire to make syrup. It's part of a larger food sovereignty movement, and organizers have a memorandum of understanding with the city of Detroit and a burn permit for a bonfire. But police officers showed up in tactical gear and told participants they had two minutes to put out the fire and leave. Attendees filed reports with the police department, which was unavailable for comment. However, the project organizers confirmed their paperwork is in order, and they reconvened Saturday morning in the park to reflect on what happened. Rosebud Bear Schneider, a ceremony organizer, told the Free Press, quote, It's a shame that it's 2022 and we still have to fight for our rights and just to exist as Native people. A new apartment building has opened in Seattle's Pioneer Square, focused on low-income and unhoused Native Americans in the city. Indian Country Today reports All All was opened by the Chief Seattle Club, a nonprofit organization. The name means home in the Lushootseed language. The 80-unit building was designed by indigenous architects. Residents or families must make below 50% of the area's median income, and 10 of the units are reserved for veterans. Monthly rents will range from about $216 to 
$2,556. Executive Director of the club Derek Belgard said Native Americans and Alaska Natives make up just 1% of King County's population, yet they account for about 15% of the chronically homeless. Belgard says they're also battling more trauma and addiction from hundreds of years of oppression and forced relocation. This is the first housing project in Seattle geared to that population. The interior of the nine-story building features work by Native artists, and the exterior brickwork is designed with Salish patterns. There's a space for a cafe serving traditional foods. There will also be a clinic in the building with a traditional healing space operated by the Seattle Indian Health Board. Belgard told Indian Country Today that culturally specific programs tend to have higher rates of success, especially when people who are unhoused don't trust the mainstream system. The Chief Seattle Club has plans for another larger project called Sacred Medicine House due to break ground this summer. For National Native News, I'm Megan Kamrick. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the Sanoski Chambers Law Firm, championing tribal sovereignty and defending Native American rights since 1976 with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Support by the Center for Indigenous Cancer Research at Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center, dedicated to cancer research, medicine, and cancer care for indigenous populations. A no-charge online risk assessment tool is available at roswellpark.org slash assessme. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Now let's take a look at today's regional news. In a press release today, Nevada Joint Union High School District Superintendent Brett McFadden announced their classroom mask mandate will be lifted beginning tomorrow. In the statement, McFadden writes, Students will be asked to mask, but no further actions of exclusion from class or school-related activities will be taken if they do not. California mandates masks for students and teachers in public schools. State officials plan to reassess the requirement on February 28th. The Union of Grass Valley reports four candidates have filed their paperwork for local elected office. Natalie Adona, current Assistant Clerk Recorder Registrar of Voters, will run for Nevada County Clerk Recorder and Registrar of Voters. The current Clerk Recorder, Gregory Diaz, says he won't run for re-election. Scott Lay, Nevada County Superintendent of Schools, will run for another term. Nevada County's Chief Fiscal and Administration Officer, Rolf Kleinhans, declared his bid for Nevada County Assessor. Current Assessor Sue Horn intends to retire at the end of her term. Yvette Durant declared for one of two Nevada County Superior Court judgeships. She was appointed to the bench effective January 3rd and must run in June to keep the seat. Candidates have until March 11th to file paperwork in their bid to run. Offices up for election include sheriff, district attorney, two Nevada City Council seats, and two Superior Court judgeships. Now let's take a look at our regional weather. The National Weather Service has issued a freeze watch in effect from late Tuesday night through Friday morning for the Grass Valley, Nevada City, and Sacramento Woodland region. This means widespread areas of below freezing temperatures overnight and early in the morning. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, Mostly cloudy, rain and snow showers likely with a low around 28. Tomorrow, 
Probable snow showers between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m., mostly cloudy with a high near 42. The National Weather Service has issued a winter weather advisory now in effect until 10 p.m. Tuesday. Moderate to heavy snow in the Sierra tonight through Tuesday evening, leading to significant travel impacts across the passes. Be prepared for reduced visibility, chain requirements, and travel delays. Plan on slippery road conditions and possible snow accumulations of up to 6 inches for higher elevations. Tomorrow may bring a dusting of snow into the lower foothills. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, snow mainly before 1 a.m. with the low around 10. Gusts as high as 25 miles per hour with possible new snow accumulation of around an inch. Tomorrow, snow likely between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m., mostly cloudy with a high near 25. The National Weather Service has issued a winter weather advisory for the tahoe truckee region in effect from 7 p.m. this evening to 10 a.m. Tuesday. Total snow accumulations of 3 to 6 inches at lake level and 5 to 10 inches above 7,000 feet. Snow up to 14 inches along the Sierra Crest. Like Grass Valley, Nevada City's advisory, plan on slippery and hazardous road conditions. Strong winds could result in whiteout conditions, especially near Sierra Passes and it's recommended to avoid recreation on Lake Tahoe. For those in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 37 and a 20% chance of showers after 10 p.m., gusts up to 22 miles per hour. Tomorrow, partly sunny with a high near 53 and a 20% chance of showers. Coming up, Sid Brown from the Sierra Gold Parks Foundation is here to take us on our bi-weekly A Walk in the Park. Stay tuned for the latest on Western Nevada County's three state parks. Well, we've had a really wonderful tease of beautiful warm weather, and boy, the plants and the animals are maybe a little bit confused with the February that we have had so far. I've been talking to a lot of folks who are out in the field and observing the conditions of the vegetation, and I heard a very knowledgeable fire official noting that our community is experiencing conditions at this moment that are mimicking the kind of moisture and field conditions you'd expect in mid-June, not in February. So, Hopefully, we're going to get a little rain here coming up in the next couple of days. We typically can have a really nice wet March and and long, luxurious spring. But please always be mindful of the hazards and concerns with regard to fire, escaped burn piles, fires left unattended, winds come up, and our forests are very vulnerable, and especially our state parks as well. At Empire Mine, the staff and crew has been doing a marvelous job in the out, outside the historic core in cutting and piling down vegetation from the winter storms and clearing areas to sort of open up the understory and protect the forest from catastrophic wildfire. Um, but they've not been able to burn the piles yet because of the continued dry conditions. So I see those every time I walk by on the Hard Rock Trail and 
looking forward to those piles disappearing into a, a flat area of ash and get those nutrients back in the soil and helping the native plants to survive and thrive. Well, at Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park, accessed off of Highway 49 toward North San Juan, and then you go 15 miles from the Tyler Foot Highway 49 intersection into the town of North Bloomfield, which is completely included or contained by Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park. The trails are open. There were a lot of downed trees, but the Rim Trail and the trail from the Visitor Center Little Museum up to the campground and around Rim Trail is open. There's only, I think, two places where there's some trees across the trail, just like one big tree across the trail where you can bypass that. When I did it the other day, um, I did about a six and a half mile loop just left my car downtown North Bloomfield, walked up the Slaughterhouse Trail to the campground, went to the Overlook, went back and did caught the Rim Trail all the way around to North Bloomfield Road, and then walked along the road all the way back down to the town of North Bloomfield. That took about three hours. It was a good long hike. I didn't see another soul, so didn't see the deer or the bear either, so that was good. Just beautiful trees. Um, one of the fun things to do is when, when I see a rare, relatively rare collection of pine cones at my feet, for example, the big, mighty sugar pine long cones, there's not that many sugar pines in the forest there. So I always like to look up and try to figure out and quickly identify what, what the mother tree is and where those cones, accumulation of cones have come. So that's Malakoff Diggins, and you can find out the conditions at Malakoff by calling 530-265-2740. If someone does not answer the phone, you can leave a message and you will get a call back. South Huber River State Park is gorgeous, and boy, we've had a great burst of visitation once we got the um, Bridgeport Covered Bridge completed and so people are coming every day enjoying that beautiful opportunity to walk across the bridge and behold the the fine craftsmanship and timber work that was done there at Bridgeport. But in addition to the covered bridge, there are trails and there are some historic buildings, a barn, there's a cemetery, there's, let's see, old gas station and the drugstore They're not all open yet, but the barn typically is open at South Huber River State Park, and we are opening the little visitor center at the Bridgeport site most of the time now. Well, that's it for today. I welcome you back to enjoy your state parks, and remember, they're open every day of the year from sunrise to sunset, and I always like to remind people to leave no trace. And remember, no fires, no alcohol. Please keep your dogs on a leash and clean up after yourself and other people around you that might not be as sensitive to the impact they have on their environment. You know, we do have a shared history and a shared culture with the beautiful nature we have. And I also strongly believe that it's our responsibility to become stewards of these shared riches 
of our natural world, natural and cultural world. So be a part of it. Let's all work together to keep it a place that you'd like to bring your children, your grandchildren, your friends and your neighbors to. So that's it for now. We'll talk to you next time. That's our newscast for this Monday, February 21st. You can listen to an extended version of A Walk in the Park on our webpage, kvmr.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sid Brown sits on the board of the Sierra Gold Parks Foundation and joins us every other week with news and updates from Nevada County's three state parks. Learn more at sierragoldparksfoundation.org. KVMR gets support from SBL Entertainment. Presenting Diane Schur, Friday, February 25th at the Sophia Center, located at 27th and Capitol, Sacramento. Tickets and information available at sblentertainment.com. And Sweetland Garden Mercantile, North San Juan. Offering organic gardening materials, hardware, PVC, and Dave Wilson and Felix Gillet bare root trees. Monday through Saturday, 9 to 5. 292-9000. Sweetlandgm.com. Dig it. Stick around. Up ahead, it's Wings, the Women's International News Gathering Service. On today's nail-biting episode, Najiba Ayubi describes her tumultuous escape from Afghanistan during the last days of the American evacuations. Then at 7, we have Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for listening to the news this evening. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. (laughs) 